How's everyone? Say we hungry. That's what we is. We hungry. Not just hungry. We H-O-N-G-R-Y. Hungry. Never mind. Special moment for those of us that God has chosen to include in the family. And it was interesting that we come to this week and as this and, and you know for believers this is this is the week for us. You know, Christmas Christmas is more fun at one level, you know, because there's all the stuff that goes around and goes along with it that the world kind of adds to it. But this is this is this is our celebration right here. You know, it seems kind of odd that we would be celebrating by not eating. That kind of seems to be you know, a little backwards, so to speak. And yet, it's something about, particularly here on this particular Wednesday, something about us denying ourselves a little bit of food. It brings us into, I think, much closer proximity of what this is really all about. I mean, I, I'm sorry, but the little bit of rumblings and bumblings going on in your tummy right now, they don't really measure up to what Christ did for us. And so this is just, uh, to me, it's just a, a, a good reminder, so to speak. But I want to continue tonight of trying to merge a couple of ideas together. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit over the past couple of weeks in our never-ending series on knowing God. And just by way of review, just to kind of back up and talk about what we discussed last week, that... It's through the Holy Spirit that we have a priority of fellowship beyond just relationship. And then there are principles of fellowship and friendship. And one of the reasons that we don't experience the fellowship not only with God, but I believe with one another, is that one, we're ignorant of the principles, and secondly, we don't work the principles that we do know. I mean, those in this house, whether it's the Perkins or the McGraws or others that sew in and help train marriages in this house, it begins with at least knowing what the principles are. You got to start there. I mean, before the Commonwealth would give you a license to drive an automobile, you at least have to know the rules and the principles of how to use that automobile. Or they're not going to let you drive. Somehow I wish they'd do the same thing with a marriage license occasionally. But we do everything we can to at least inform, here are the principles of what it's going to take for this covenant to work. So you're not ignorant anymore, but now you've got to work those principles, and they have to be worked every day. And friendship with God, with the Holy Spirit, is something to which we can aspire, but we've got to know what the principles are, how we practice that. And we looked at the life of, of Abraham. We drew some principles out there. We also looked at another friend of God, Moses, in Exodus 33. And we, we saw how Moses positioned himself, if you wish, in this relationship. He pitched a tent, it says, a place that's unique for God. Portable. We go to them. Purposeful fellowship. The product of intimacy. Presence manifested. And then the unique parameters, number three, of divine relationship. 
how God showed up with Moses from the very beginning. Not just, hey, it's cool, I'm a talking bush. But letting Moses know, let's lay this down real clear so that you can know something. I'm God, you're not. Therefore, when you approach me, let it be known, I'm holy. And if you remember what the one incidence was that got Moses disqualified from taking Israel into the promised land. Anybody remember what it was? Striking the rock. And yeah, if you'd been putting up with what he'd been putting up with, you probably would have struck that rock too. And I don't know about you, but, you know, certainly looking through the Bible, I think Moses probably did have some anger issues. I mean, if you, I mean, seriously, I mean, if you've been raised the way he was, floated down the river, and then, you know, you're raised in Pharaoh's household, and then God tells you, now I want you to go back to your stepdaddy, and I want you to get up in his face and tell him that you're getting ready to ruin his economy. I mean, then we got to take six million folk out and take care of all these people. Yeah, I think Moses probably had some issues. One or two, what do you think? I mean, he could have been like a, the Paxil poster child back in his day. And yet, it was interesting that it wasn't just his display of anger. It was he, re- he, he forgot the one thing as God revealed himself to him in that moment, in that burning vegetation. God says, because you failed to honor me as holy, that's going to disqualify you from going in. And I wonder sometimes, and this is just an aside, it's not in my notes, so I'm just rambling for a moment. I wonder sometimes if the reason that we don't come all the way into our promise is not so much our posture or our faith or the fact that we're not declaring and decreeing properly. I really wonder if, like Moses, we are failing to hold God as holy. And trust me, if a friend of God, if God will withhold that from him, I think maybe if we fail to hold, keep God in that place of his righteousness, place of holiness i think maybe god might keep us out of some promise what do you think and it's interesting to me that the parameters of that relationship were set out real real clearly god said this is how it's going to work but i want to add a fourth p tonight and this will be my message we've talked about the priority of fellowship the principles of fellowship the parameters of divine fellowship tonight i want to talk about the price of that fellowship You know, relationship doesn't have to cost us a thing. You can have, as I mentioned last week, you can have relationships that are merely transactional. You can have a transactional relationship with the UPS man. A transactional relationship with the person selling you, well, you can't have it tonight, but your fish sandwich over at Fast Food Lane. It's a relationship, and it may be, it may be a three-minute relationship, but there's some contact there. And you can have relationships that are merely transactional. Could I submit to you that there are a lot of Christians that that's as far as they ever get with God is transactional. I'm going to exchange my sin for your righteousness. You're going to keep me out of hell But how many of you know that fellowship is not just transactional? 
As a matter of fact, it's the antithesis of it. Fellowship is always expensive. It's always expensive. And the deeper the relationship, or deeper the fellowship, rather, the greater the expense. Let me say that again. The deeper the fellowship, the greater the expense. Consider marriage just for a second. You want to see a great marriage? Just look at the investment. It's not complicated. Now, it's complicated from the fact that you're taking two flawed, sinful people and throwing them together and trying to make one out of them. That's complicated. The Bible calls it a mystery. I call it a mess. And yet, you see marriages that you, you, you look and they have not only survived the decades, but they've thrived and they've gotten better over the decades. Why is that? It's because they were not just transactional relationships. There was fellowship. There was money. There was time. There were thousands of hours. There were conversations. There was intense fellowship at times. And it was expensive. Costly. You see marriages that you've got one party that thinks that the other party is supposed to do all the investing. Pastor Paul. It's like, I'm doing, I expect you to make all the investment in this thing, but I'm not going to make a similar investment. Or I'm going to wait until I think you've sowed enough and then I may give a little something, something into it. No, 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 no. You give it all. This is how it works. In direct proportion, the deeper the fellowship, the greater the expense. We'll come back to that thought in a moment. You know, if we look at the last actions and the last words of individuals, they always have particular meaning and importance. Whether in Scripture we see a patriarch laying hands and imparting blessing. Whether somebody is leaving a last will and testament, instructions for the dispersal of their estate, those last words, what, what's coming off someone's lips as they are drawing their last breaths, they're words that we remember. Jesus' departure, Luke 24, it says, When he had led them out, the disciples, to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And it says, While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. You know, that's an, a, that's an amazing image for me to keep in mind that Jesus was not just in that moment giving further instructions of how to be better folk. The last thing we see Jesus doing as he was leaving their sight and leaving their presence, he was blessing. He was blessing. He was blessing. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Again, last words. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Witnesses, you know this. And it says, after he said all this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. A blessing. But the blessing was what? 
the release of the Holy Spirit. We look at last words, Matthew 28. We've heard this as a missional statement so much that we've got it by heart. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Last words. But let's talk about the last of the last words for a moment. What does he say? And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Notice that even in those last departing words of Matthew 28, where he was giving instructions, this is what I want you to do. The very last thing he told us was what? It was relational. It had in it what? Fellowship. Not just function, but fellowship. And behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. Fascinating. And always is not just eternal for out there. Always means what? Always. It means what? Right now. Today. In your workplace. In your neighborhood. Marriage. Your life. God's presence. Always. I appreciate eternity. God bless. I got to tell you though. Maybe I'm short-sighted. I'm a little bit more concerned about right now. And I appreciate the fact that we'll get up there and there'll be gold streets and there'll be worship and there'll be amazing angelic choirs and worship teams and that's going to be cool and all that, but I'm here now. I'm human. I got the attention span of a gnat. I got needs today. I got holes in my soul now. Always. And in the coming weeks, myself and others are going to begin to talk about knowing God by his attributes. And one of those happens to be God's omnipresence. Because we know God being God can be what? He's everywhere. Isn't that wonderful? In all things. And yet the specific way that God does that for you and for me is what? It is now through His Holy Spirit. And the reality, but the relational evidence of that is the ongoing voice, work, and presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And again, it's not just an eternal reality, but it's a temporal one as well. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, look at this. This is how it happens. We fellowship with the Holy Spirit. If any fellowship with the Spirit, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship, what? Of the Holy Spirit. There it is. Be with you all. It's coming into this fellowship with Him.
We know from Psalm 139 that God is omnipresent. The psalmist writes, verses 7 through 10, where can I go from your spirit? Ever wanted to hide from God? Peekaboo. I mean, you know you ain't right. And you just say, well, I just won't tell God. I just won't confess it. I just won't say it out loud. Well, I hope that works for you because there's nothing hidden. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise up on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. And in that omnipresence, we find another attribute of God is omniscience. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit with him, within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So how did Jesus accomplish this then? If the goal is fellowship with the Spirit. If the goal is to be able to have tangible evidence of the omnipresence of God, not just all, not just all around us and out there, but right here. How did they, meaning the Godhead, how did they figure this out? What was, what was the methodology by which this got accomplished? We find it in in John 16. Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me where you're going. Because I've said these things, you are filled with grief. Yeah. You're leaving. I can see you. I can hear you. I can touch you. But I tell you the truth. It's for your good that I'm going away. Because unless I go away... The counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. You know, that seems like a very clean theological passage. Jesus left. He sent his Holy Spirit. But ladies and gentlemen, could I tell you that there was a lot of pain and suffering for that to happen. That wasn't just a theological wave of the wand, so to speak. That wasn't just a neat idea that God had of how we're going to accomplish this. We consider the cross and the price paid for the forgiveness of sin, but it was this same act. It was the same price that was paid for fellowship. We understand forgiveness. We so appreciate the fact that we have now, now the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us because of the shed blood of Jesus. It's an amazing thought. But you realize you cannot really, 
You can't separate the forgiveness and the fellowship because it was the same cross that released both. It was the very same act of atonement that released the Holy Spirit to you and to me. And there's a vital connection between forgiveness and fellowship. Because before you can have fellowship with someone, you have to be at peace with them. My wife and I were on a two-hour 911 marriage call from another country this morning. And this couple, they just were missing each other. We were doing everything we could to help them connect, so to speak. But I mean, fellowship's not was not even part of the picture. Go out and go out and have a meal, go out and have a date. They were that won't go happen because they were not even at peace. And so the hope of fellowship, it wasn't going to happen until some peace could be brought among kind of two warring factions in the same household. But you realize that the very same thing exists with you and with me. It's that there's no way we could ever have fellowship with God until peace could be made with God. And you see, we fail to understand many times not just the fact that God was, that, that, that we were a little different. We were, mm, the, the, the biblical word is hostile. You know, there's, there's one thing about being a little different. Well, we don't really see eye to eye on a few things. But it's another thing when the relationship could be described as what? Hostile. That means that not only do we not see eye to eye on a few things, it means that we can't even be in the same, the same zip code at the same time without somebody wanting to do bodily harm to the other person. Hostile. Romans 5. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. There it is. We have, been, we have now peace with God. We don't... Gosh, we read this and it's just like, okay, good theological fact. Check, check, check. Peace with God. My goodness. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And regarding our hostility toward God because of sin... Peace was not possible. And therefore, fellowship wasn't either. Romans chapter 8 further describes this relationship. It says that the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is what? What does it say here? Hostile to God. It doesn't say, hmm, okay, well, yeah, I can see your point. No, no, no. It's hostile to God. It is saying everything that's 180 degrees opposed to what God is trying to say and imprint upon us. That's what hostility is. The sinful, the sinful mind and the sinful man that's attached to the sinful mind has declared a jihad 
against holiness and righteousness. Sometimes we fail to recognize that because we have this little short list of righteousness somehow tied to our spiritual disciplines or, you know, whatever, however we've we've defined fruit in that particular moment for our life, but we fail to understand how wide the gap still is even when you're righteous by your own list. Hostile. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sin nature cannot please God. So God had to deal with this hostility and establish peace through perfect forgiveness before perfect fellowship can even begin to occur. We look at the series of Levitical offerings and sacrifices, and we look at the fellowship offering. It's interesting that it was also known as the peace offering. Isn't that fascinating? And it's the only one of those, I believe there are five, but it's the only one of those offerings that's voluntary. The others are prescribed, but this one is voluntary. And to the extent that, saints, we are never casual about the work of the cross. Likewise, we should never be casual about fellowship either. Because you see, saints, we're called, but beyond just function and fruit, we're called to fellowship. Now, we talk a lot about calling. Called to the ministry. Bearing much fruit, showing yourself to me by disciples. And it's all true. It's biblical. But do you ever consider that beyond just the call to function, the call to fruitfulness, that God has called us to fellowship? And perhaps of all the callings that we have, perhaps it's the very highest one that we have. Now, I don't know about you, but I can tend to get those out of order. Why? Because if I've got fruit and function, then everybody else can see that and celebrate it, and then I feel good about me. But the fellowship part, that's a little easier because that's where nobody else really sees what's really going on, how we walk and function with one another. I can walk in this room. I give my, come in, give my, give my wife a little kiss, hold her hand and worship. Everybody can look on from the outside. Oh, he's a good husband. Open his door for his wife. The question is, in the, the other 160 some odd hours of the week, you have no idea what that relationship looks like. I know how to turn it on and off when I get around you, you folk. So you think I'm something. But you don't know how I treat her at home. You don't know what our fellowship looks like. And yet, that's the priority right there. We're called to this, ladies and gentlemen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. He'll keep you strong 
so that you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who has called you into fellowship. Why does he do all these things? Keeping us strong, blameless on the, uh, on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he do that? It's a prerequisite so he can call us into fellowship. He's called us into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. Our Lord is faithful. And once again, that fellowship is by means of a spirit and his sacrifice by which the spirit was released to us. And our recognition and response to the Holy Spirit in our lives continually reminds us of the price of that fellowship. Oh, we... We do this, and we're going to do this in a moment. But do you realize that the ongoing presence of God, His voice in my life, the exercise of any spiritual gift, do you know what that should be? It reminds me not just, I got the Holy Ghost. It should remind me of the cross. Every time I speak in tongues or prophesy or lay hands on the sick that they might recover, whatever the holy nine of the spiritual gifts are, every time that there's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit operating in my life, it should immediately take me right back to the sacrifice of Christ and that which it took for his spirit to now dwell on the inside of me. Oh, my goodness. You talk about now moving the Holy Spirit beyond some kind of energizer battery of power in our life. We begin to exercise in the Holy Ghost and it becomes a bloody affair. All of a sudden now, before we get our, we get our Pentecost on, our little happy holy dance, we want to drop to our knees and say thank you. We shouldn't have to wait just for, just for the Eucharist, just for the table to be reminded of that. You realize the Holy Spirit should be the reminder of that. Because peace has been made through this blood. And it was by that peace that fellowship could come to us now. My goodness. And you know, there's a curious consistency in most of the Old Testament offerings Anything made of grain had to be made with unleavened bread. Now, the picture of leaven in Scripture, yeast, is always associated with sin. Okay? But yet you look at the fellowship offering. This is, this is pretty fascinating, or the peace offering. But it's the offering where that offering had to be leavened. It's the only one that we see. Wherever grain was, again, wherever there was bread that was involved, it had to be unleavened, but with the fellowship offering, it was leavened. Why is that? Because it's a picture that God fellowships with us in the midst of our sin nature. It's also the only offering that there's it's called a fellowship offering because not just the priest consumes, but there's fellowship that happens in the quote, presence of God, the priest representing that presence. And yet there's leaven in that offering. 
as a reminder that what? There's still leaven and sin in your life, in my life, and yet God fellowships us anyway. What a powerful picture that we have that. And that fellowship offering being complete voluntary, it says to God, I want to fellowship with you. It's why that we have just just ways that we do offerings in this church. Yes, there's the tithe. They're the requirements, so to speak. But then beyond that, we have multiple opportunities to give free will, other offerings. But beyond just finances, what other free will offerings? What other fellowship offerings? What other peace offerings are we regularly offering to God? God says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And that doesn't just mean the physical members, if you wish, but that means who we are in that process. Deuteronomy 27, 7, God speaking to Moses, he said, sacrifice fellowship offerings there, eating them and rejoicing in the presence of the Lord your God. And we bring our leavened in perfect lives to his table And we're joined in fellowship and peace with him there. What a picture. Peace, presence, fellowship. How and why? By means of his shed blood. The price of this fellowship. It's not just some meeting where somebody laid their hands on you and you started talking in an unknown language. But every time that we do, we're reminded this is what it cost. And I tell you, when we really understand that, the things of God we're never flipping about again. Think about that. It never becomes casual. You and I never come to this communion table casual. I hope not. We always come to this table every time amazed at how incredibly unworthy we really are to have received what Christ did for us. And as we come and we, can, we, we begin to conclude our study on the Holy Spirit, I want us to be reminded tonight of the price of that fellowship. And to do that, I want us to come to the table together.